When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Jones! Barman! He's got it! England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins! Stokes flushed his way! Well, sorry, Simon. I had to do that. I had to interrupt our normal theme tune to play a bit of funereal music. It's a funereal day if you're an England fan after seeing that schmozzle of a, a batting performance by England. 147 all out. The only good thing about 147 is the perfect break, isn't it, in snooker? But it's not really a very good cricket score. So how did you see it? Well, I saw it as England winning the toss and batting first on a green pitch and an overcast day. And Rory Burns out first ball to Mitchell Stark, dramatic start to the Ashes series. Stark pumped up and it just went on from there. It set the tone for the day. England lost wickets consistently. They got to lunch four down, but then they lost another wicket straight after lunch when Hamid was out. There was a bit of a recovery. Pope and Butler put together a 50 stand, but then both got out in quick succession and the rest fell like a pack of cards. And it was Pat Cummins' day. First day as Australia's captain. Picks up his first ever Ashes 5 for... Easy, this captaincy lark, isn't it? 5 for 38 and Australia in firm control. Very firm control after the first day. And you you feel already that they're in a winning position in this game. Obviously, then the heavens opened and uh, no chance of play afterwards, which I guess... You know, when, when you have been bowled out of 147, I, I think, in actual fact, in, in some ways, maybe it's a good thing that England didn't come out again afterwards because although you've been riled by that terrible batting performance as a bowling attack and you want to come out and make amends, at the same time, firstly, there is that sort of demoralisation sort of setting in uh, and, and that can affect how you bowl. Secondly, obviously, Australia would come out buoyant having bowled England out for 147. And I think, I think thirdly, a bit of dampness around in the outfield could affect the ball as well. So in many ways, perhaps it was a blessing in disguise that England didn't get the chance to bowl and they can 
you know, sit overnight and consider everything, come out tomorrow feeling you know, better about themselves, uh, a new day, a clean slate, if you like. There's that old thing about you never know how how a pitch is until both sides have batted on it, though, uh, I don't know, it didn't look that bad. I mean, it, it, it did a bit, didn't it? it? And they bowled superbly, but it's not 147 all-out wicket, definitely. I, th- I think that's absolutely right. That you know, It did do a bit, but I, I think what was there was there in that first session. And it, it to me, it just felt like a, a step too far against that bowling attack in those conditions, green pitch, overcast. So to me, it, it seemed more logical uh, to bowl first. I, you know, it's, it's not easy either way. You know, you, you put yourself under pressure, don't you? You, you strive to take wickets. And of course, the, the side that England picked you know, they sort of set themselves up to bat first in a way, haven't they? By including the spinner, leaving out Stuart Broad, who you feel might, might have bowled quite well in those conditions uh, this morning. They, they left him out. So they sort of felt a bit committed to batting. And, you know, to be fair, Australia said they would have batted first. And also at Brisbane, every side has batted first since 2008. Mind you, they've not always won the game. I think there were six defeats in there as well for the teams that have won the toss and, and batted first. So it doesn't you know guarantee anything. It just felt, I mean, from a distance, it felt like a bowl first morning mm. but both captains said they wanted to bat first and uh, you know, in a way Joe Root was the unlucky one he won the toss it might be one of those days you know, when it was a good toss to lose yeah definitely uh, it was it, definitely it, a good toss one, to lose yeah. yeah I mean it's a horrible thing to say it's cliche isn't it good toss to lose but the thing is if you win the toss you've got to make a decision and that decision comes back to bite you if you don't play well and obviously it has in this case for, for Joe Root I, I think that Obviously, history plays a part in this. And, you know, the famous Nasser Hussain put them in in Brisbane in 2001 when Australia went on to get nearly 500. And there have been other instances of that as well. But, of course, think about it recently, uh, that last test match played at the Gabba against India, where they chased 320-odd to win on the last day. So I was going to say that, you know, when you come to a ground, you have to sort of factor in would I rather bat first or would I rather bat last? Which is going to be harder, batting first in the in the match or last in the match? Will the pitch deteriorate significantly? And I think in the past, Gabba pitches probably have been better to bat on early in the game, even though there might be a bit of life in the pitch for the first couple of hours, than late in the game where spinners and uneven bounce can come into play. But maybe more recently, where I think generally pitch preparation has got more sophisticated, Pitches don't deteriorate as much as they used to. And therefore, actually batting last isn't so bad. So, you know, you have to factor all this in. But in the end, I guess you you, you have to think, well, how much is that pitch going to do? If we get through the first hour and a half, two hours, will it flatten out and play easier? And that was what was obviously in Joe Root's mind. I don't think it's going to happen because it looks as if it's going to have something in it for two or three days, especially with the weather. Yeah, I, I think one of the points is, you know, is England's top order good enough to resist Australia's attack in those conditions, i.e. green pitch and, and overcast conditions where the ball is just doing enough? I have to say, I was, I was really impressed with Australia's bowling. And, we, you know, we, you can talk about England's batting all you like. And, you know, it always comes back to that uh, comment that Geoffrey makes, isn't it, about test cricket? You have to learn to keep the good balls out. That's how you survive and thrive in test cricket. You're going to get good balls. You have to keep them out that's the way you're going to make runs because you are going to get them and England England were just not able to do that and there was there was some really good bowling so I mean that you know there were some 
one or two iffy dismissals. But there, you know, I think the majority of the top order were dismissed by good balls, you know, in the channel, in the corridor, just doing a bit, bouncing a bit, whatever. And you know, they were got out. So in that sense, it it wasn't like an abject England performance. It wasn't like swishing and driving and and cutting and and nicking off like that. You know, they they were got out. So you know, I think you have to say fair play to to Australia for that. And you know, Hazelwood was was excellent. I mean, I think perhaps the one exception. You know, right at the start of the day, and if we talk about our, our sort of most significant moment of the day or the the play of the day, if you like, I think that came right at the start. The first ball, there's always a big focus on the first ball of an Ashes series, and you know there have been some significant ones in the past. You know, I remember Michael Slater cutting field of Freitas for four first ball in Ashes series. We all remember Steve Harmison bowling that huge wide, and today we had something similar. We had Mitchell Stark castling uh, Rory Burns. But I mean, you sent me a photograph during the day's play, a still of where Rory Burns' right foot was, and you know he was in no position really to to play that delivery. His foot, rather than sort of going perhaps down the pitch or even slightly open, it was it was right across outside off stump. It was you know it's a terrible position to play play that delivery. I mean you can analyse it a bit more. I mean you you you've played the game, but to me it just it, it just looked horrendous. Yeah, I mean he has got a funny method. We all know that, and he does. There's a lot of moving parts to his his stance and trigger movements and so on. But I think that was accentuated, even exacerbated by the tension, the uh, yeah, you know the enormity of the occasion, the first Ashes Test in in Brisbane, the national anthems. You know all that kind of just goes feeds into your body, and your body's movements are a little bit more exaggerated, perhaps, than they might be normally. But that that position was extraordinary, where his his right leg, his front leg, was well outside off stump, and the ball was outside leg stump. So it was almost a cross-legged approach to try and play, and and such a contrast to modern methods, which is clearing your front leg, keeping your front leg out of the way, and allowing your bat to get to the ball, which is a product largely of white ball cricket. But even in red ball, you know, batsmen are more intent, especially with DRS, to keep their front leg out of the way to allow the bat to get to the ball. So. It is a strange method. Um, I think, as I say, it was sort of exaggerated by the, the enormity of the occasion where you do everything a bit more probably exaggerated than you would normally. And, and he was in an even more strange position than normal. It wasn't a deliberate ball, by the way. A lot of people thinking that Mitchell Stark would have got known about Rory Burns getting across his stumps and therefore going for a leg stump, uh, you know, ball into the, into the leg stump. I don't think you would ever start a bowling spell, certainly in a test match at the beginning, thinking I'm going to try and bowl a leg stump half volley because it's the one ball that all batsmen want. I think Stark is always someone who looks to try and bowl full, look, looks to try and bowl off stump, but he just got his line a tiny bit wrong. And it did actually swing back from outside the leg stump to just hit the leg stump. So it did, it did swing a bit, which I suppose means that Burns was slightly unlucky, but he was in such a horrible position he had no chance of really getting his back to the ball. And it was just the most, it was so shockingly bad. It was such a shockingly bad start. You kind of didn't know where to look. It, it, I mean, for him, for Burns, it must have been just, the, the, you know, your worst nightmare. You've got all those thoughts in your mind <laughs> building up to the Ashes, your first experience of the Ashes in Australia and all the kind of uh, eulogies that have been spoken about you in the team. 
and you've watched video highlights of your best innings and all that sort of stuff and you're kind of dreaming the night before, lying awake, and then dreaming the night before of, of making 100 in your first Ashes appearance in Australia, and it's all over in one ball. I mean, it just must be the most cruel thing imaginable. Yeah, I suppose you know the, the game gives and the game takes away, doesn't it? Rory Burns, first test of the last Ashes series, he made 100 against Australia at Edgbaston. I know England went on to lose the game. I mean, he had quite a lot of luck, didn't he? A lot of flirtation outside the off stump, but he made 100. Fantastic moment for him. This time, first innings of an Ashes series, out first ball, and you have to you walk off. And and the other thing as well, I suppose, the, the, the problem for Rory Burns is that that sort of clip of him being bold is going to be played over and over again because it's, you know, it, when we think back on Ashes series, it's going to, you know, that Steve Harmison ball is played over and over again. To be fair, the, the Michael Slater cut for four or Phil Freitas in the 94-5 series isn't played over and over again. I suppose it depends about the rights to it. But, you know, they, they, they do feel big moments, don't they, at, at the start of an Ashes series. And it, it, it seemed to sort of define the day, really. Mm. Um, it's, it, it, it's funny how that, you know, can happen. In a way, it shouldn't or doesn't have to. It's so deflating. Isn't it? it often it's so does. Yeah, yeah, for your team that, that to see that. Yeah. And but you know, on the on the positive side, uh, if you think back to 2010-11, Strauss was out of the fourth ball. Yeah. I mean, that build-up that England had as well was tremendous. Four warm-up games, a, a, a camp in Germany beforehand, and you know the team all in excellent form. I remember Ian Bell got 192 in a warm-up game and uh, took Steve Smith, who was then a leg spinner largely uh, apart and England was such you know so positive coming into Gabatess and then the fourth ball of the match fourth ball of the series uh, Andrew Strauss pokes one to gully and I remember him saying actually uh, that after that first day where I think four of them were out for naught certainly Strauss and uh, Stuart Broad and Matt Pryor all made ducks and they all sat next to each other in the changing rooms and they were sort of looking at each other at the end of the day saying, God, all that expectation and build-up, and here we are, three of us haven't got a run between us. And that was a bit the same for England today, wasn't it, with Root and Robinson also out for naught. Yeah, and, and the, the, Stephen Finn was talking about that match, actually, on, on Test Match Special today. And it, it, yeah, He was saying that they knew they'd underachieved. They got about 260 in their first innings. They knew they'd underachieved. I'm sure England will have that feeling tonight. You know, 147, it's nothing, is it, really? You don't win many Test matches with 147. You need an excellent bowling performance to, to drag it back. And Australia got a 221-run first innings lead. And, and Finney was saying... But then we had something magical. And and it feels like that already, that England are going to need something really special to, to get themselves back in this match. You, you can see Australia getting a, you know, a big enough first innings lead to squeeze the pressure on them in the in the second innings. And that's sort of projecting ahead a bit. And we are actually going to project ahead uh, towards the end of this podcast because we're, we're going to predict the score for the second day, as we're going to do throughout this uh, test series. We're going to try and look ahead and tell you what we think the score is going to be at the end of the the next day's play and the the closest will take the predict the score trophy at at the end (laughs) of the at the ashes series well it might not be feeling like a beer right now but beer 52 is a craft beer supplier like no other sending experts all around the world to find the best beer available anywhere on this planet. And in true Christmas spirit, Beer 52 are offering listeners of this podcast 10 free beers. All you have to do is go to www.beer52.com cricket and cover £5.95 for postage to claim your free case. 
Each month, Beer 52 members receive a new case, usually from a different part of the world. Members have had beers from more than 40 countries across five continents. If dark beer is not your thing, stout or whatever, simply choose the light option instead of a mixed case. And as well as the delicious beer, you'll receive Ferment magazine, which delves into the beers, breweries and themes of beer making around the world. And you'll also get two delicious snacks to wash down with the beer. So your appetite and thirst is quenched all in one go. And it might just take your mind off the cricket. Go to beer52.com slash cricket. And after claiming your free case, you'll join the monthly beer club, which is £24 a month. No minimum commitment. Calls will cancel any time. We should say something about uh, Pat Cummings, but also, uh, you know, this idea of Cummings to root, uh, captain to captain to captain. But actually, it was Hazelwood that got root today. And that's the eighth time that Josh Hazelwood has got root in this series. So there's this talk about this head to head between the two skippers. But it, you know, it's Josh Hazelwood. And, you know, we, we had others on the Virtual Cricket Club the other day talking about you know, up against McGrath that, you know, McGrath you know, did have his number. He just admitted it. He did have did have his number, he got him out 19 times. Hazelwood's got root out eight times now in Test cricket. And, a, you know, a, a, a decent delivery um, early on and, and root out for mm. naught. Well, look, the key is, with any series against Australia in Australia, the key is to survive the new ball. Because the first 12, say 15 overs, the ball definitely does something. And after that, it does get a bit easier. And if you look at England today... They lost four wickets before 15 overs were bowled. Uh, so obviously Rory Burns gone to the first ball. Milan, I thought, could have left his. I mean, it was a pretty good ball from Hazelwood. It bounced and, and moved away or angled across him. But you've got to look to leave those back-of-the-length balls early on. And, and, you know, they're going to bounce over the stump. So you don't need to play those, really. That's, that's my uh, point, so, Yoz, you know, about, is that, that's, that's my point about, you know, not getting out to goodish balls in Test cricket. Do, do you know what yes. I mean? And I felt, I felt yes. that with Milan, actually. It was, a, it, was a good, it was a decent enough ball, wasn't it? It bounced a bit, as you say, yeah. angled across him. But you, th- that's where you, those are the balls you need to survive to thrive, I think. Mm, definitely. And, you know, a bit of a tame dismissal, really. I thought Root's ball was pretty good. Uh, I mean, you know, you, you could say, could he have left it? No. Could he have got a little bit further forward? Marginally, maybe. But it, it just was a perfect line and length and moved away enough and, and took the edge. Sometimes all you, you have to hold your hand up and say, I don't know what else I could have done there. Hope the edge doesn't carry, perhaps, you know, is the, is the best that Root could have hoped for. But, you know, because he was exposed to that new ball, it did make him more vulnerable. And that may be one of the reasons why Hazel would have taken his week so many times, because Roots had to come in so early when the ball is still hard and new. And then Stokes, I mean, it, probably a bit unlucky. Uh, that was a good ball from, from Cummins, a typical aggressive length, just short of a length, but kind of angling in from outside the, uh, from round the wicket. So sort of as if it was difficult for, for Stokes to leave it because of the angle. Mm. You do get drawn into playing it, even though it was short of a length. And then it just probably held its line slightly, maybe moved a touch away and took and sort of squared him up and, and a good catch at third slip. So, you know, suddenly England are four down in 12 overs and it's, it's just so difficult to come back from that. In fact, to their credit, they did come back from that, actually, because after um, we could talk about um, Hazi Pamid in, in a minute. But, you know, that counterattack from, from Pope and, and Butler was excellent. 
It, it was, yeah. It, it it just got snuffed out too early as far as England are concerned. I mean, it was 112 for five. The, re- the recovery was on and then Stark got one. Again, you know, that sort of good good line just across him and, and, and nicked him off. And, and it, you know, perhaps a typical Gabba dismissal, Australian tall, fast bowler dismissal at the Gabba. And that, that's what Australia can do. I mean, they, they have got three quality pace bowlers in, in Stark, Hazelwood and Cummins. And they didn't have a great deal of red ball bowling going into the the ashes but they made it work today there was so little there on offer for England I, th- I thought that was the interesting thing is they were so disciplined as they were last time in two th- 2019 yeah they, the they were I, you know, yeah I agree I mean I, I think Hazelwood is a better bowler than Glenn McGrath obviously he wow. hasn't had that longevity wow. I know that's a big call wow, but I, I, I think that he's got more ability he, he moves the ball more McGrath Basically, bowled. I mean, the difficulty with McGrath was was two things. Firstly, he bowled with his left foot almost on the leg stump at uh, the, uh, the non-striker's end, so he was right over the top of the wicket, wicket to wicket, and he just had that relentless line of length. And he did. Uh, he was able to generate more pace and bounce than you'd expect because he had such a high action and a, a very good wrist release. But he didn't actually. And this is in, almost in the days before things like wobble seam and you know, cross seam and all that, uh, he didn't really move the ball. In fact, often, if the ball did swing, he didn't bowl nearly as well. He was just a very good line bowler, which is why he was so good at Lords, for instance, using the slope to brilliant effect. Hazelwood has a similar uh, ability to keep control and and bowl, you know, relentless line and length, but he can move the ball either way as well. And, and I think he's a bit quicker than McGrath. So, you know, I think all in all, he is probably a better package. Obviously, the thing about McGrath is he's, he was a batsman hater for 15 years and he managed to maintain that amazing fitness record and relentless line. And he was a metronome. And uh, and he got a 560 old test wickets, well, which is an, an amazing achievement. But Hazelwood, if he stays fit, he'll get into that area. Well, Glenn McGrath took 563 test wickets, an average of 21.64, 21. 21.64. And Josh Hazelwood has taken, well, before this test match, 212 wickets at 25.95. He played. This was his 56th test match. And Glenn played. Let me have a look. Glenn played 124 tests. So he's, you know, he's got he's got a bit to do. Uh, Josh Hayes was yeah. a big call. Yours anyway. Um, uh, yeah. Well, I just think from a kind of purely from an athlete's and and a, and, and bowling skills point of view, Hazelwood has more mm. going for him. But but obviously McGrath was was peerless until Anderson overtook him. Mm-hmm. So Yoz, England 147 all out. A, a rain curtailed first day. Any way back for England? In this test match, I mean, there was a lot of rain around. Uh, it, it does dry quickly at the Gabba. I mean, normally you need a lot of rain around. You think it, you know, it still might be tricky to bat uh, tomorrow. What do we think? Much? Well, I, no, I don't think any way back, personally. Uh, I, I think that, that, you know, Australia will get a, a decent lead. And what, was, um, what they may learn from it is that, you know, if you're positive, even in difficult conditions, you can turn the table. So while... Hazib Hamid was dedicated and disciplined in his defence. You know, you can keep, you, you can always keep him in because eventually, you know, there's going to be a ball with his number on it, and it's going to, he's going to get out, and that, which is exactly what happened. Whereas, uh, and, and bowlers can just plug away and plug away, and eventually they'll get him out. Whereas with Butler and Pope, 
you could see as soon as they got together and not only Butler's brilliant skill and wonderful timing and positive intent, but also Pope really busy running between the wickets, looking to score all the time. It puts bowlers off and they don't bowl as well. So, you know, as soon as Butler hit Hazelwood back over his head a couple of times, they had to change the field. Uh, Hazelwood dropped his length back slightly. And that, that was one thing that I thought was outstanding about Australia today is they bowled a foolish length. You can get onto those sort of pitches and see the ball move and bounce and, and bowl a bit too short and batsmen play and miss and it looks great, but it doesn't take wickets. They, they bowled a fuller length and that's what got most of the wickets for them. And Butler and Pope sort of made them change that and forced Hazelwood to put a long off and drag his length back a little bit. And they had to change the bowling and they had to bring Lyon on and they had to bring Stark on. And, you know, it, it just made Australia think. And, all right, it didn't last that long, but it was a message. It was the same message, of course, that, do you remember in 2005, that f first Ashes test at Lords where England bowled Australia out for about 190 and thought everyone thought, well, here we go. Uh, and, and then, uh, obviously, Australia bowled England out for, a le for less. But Peterson made a statement in that first innings. He took McGrath on and hit him back over his head and hit him, hit Warren into the stand, the grandstand. And that immediately sent a message to England, right, we've got to be more positive. And in the next test, they were. So, you know, even though it's an obvious thing to say, I thought that uh, Butler and Pope's approach was the right one for England. And... They have to sort of adopt that as a team, I think, and be more positive. Today, they were just hit by this, uh, you know, onslaught of superb bowlers and movement. And, uh, you, you know, they look a bit stunned. But in, on reflection, there are some messages there uh, that they can take on and, and be positive about. Yeah, so let's look ahead. Uh, England's attack has got to limit Australia's first inning score, clearly. What we haven't talked about, actually, is just the makeup of that England attack. We were trying to, to work out who would play in the lead-up to the game. We talked about the possibility of, of five seamers, talked about the possibility of them playing a spinner. They, they went for the spinner, but no Stuart Broad. Jimmy Anderson not playing as well. No Stuart Broad uh, for England. Are, are you surprised by that, the fact they left Broad out? I'm really annoyed because... I wrote a massive piece for the Sunday Times <laughs> previewing the series and it was all about Warner v Broad and Broad would be my third name on the team sheet after Root and Stokes and he wasn't even in the team. I mean, I thought that was astounding and obviously, it, it, you know, go the guys you know, there on the spot know how Broad is bowling, how he's feeling but I didn't get the sense from just looking at the pictures that he was a guy who was relieved not to be playing. I think he was a guy who was desperate to play. And we know with Broad, you don't leave him out at first tests because he he proves you very, very wrong very quickly. And, yeah, I just think that the, the psychological hold the, and technical hold he has over Warner in particular, and the Australians generally. I mean, he's got a great record in, in the Ashes overall, over 100 wickets in the Ashes, at under 30. They respect him. He took five for here. Do you remember um, that time when they wouldn't name him? Yeah, six for eighty-one. Uh, he, he hadn't walked in. He hadn't walked at Trent Bridge the year before, and so they refused to to name him Stuart Broad. They called him the medium pacer from Nottinghamshire or something. And he took he took five for didn't he? Uh, the Gabber and kind of defied all their um, pre-match kind of um, you know uh, Mickey taking. 
So I thought it was a big mistake, that personally. Yeah, well, obviously it created a lot of uh, talking points. No Anderson, no Broad. And, you know, that's happened so rarely for England. But, you know, time does move on. You know, Anderson's 39 and Broad is, is 35. And Broad hasn't bowled in a first-class match since the, the 7th of August. So, you know, there's that aspect to it as well. But, yeah, it it, it, it did seem like a very big call from England. And it, it just sort of feels as though the, some of the calls they've made already just haven't worked out for them. So they need something to try, you know, they need something tomorrow to try to reverse that and to, to sort of push the game back or at least take, you know, take some of the game back uh, towards them. So then, yours second day's play, we're going to do our predict the score. What is the score going to be at the end of the day's play? Now, we're not just going to do a random number. We've actually written our scores down so we don't sort of cheat here. We've written our scores down. I've got mine. What's yours? You can go first tonight. What have you written down? Well, uh, because <laughs> it's not quite certain how much play there'll be, because I know there's sort of showers forecast, so I'm assuming not a full day's play, and I'm saying Australia 190 for four. Oh, my goodness me. Saying? Oh, my goodness me. That's incredible. I've written down 189 for four. Well, that is that is, Whoa. that is that 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 well that is remarkable. There's you know there's been no collusion or anything like that. I, we've, no, we've, no. I know. Well, we're we're thinking we're thinking in a very similar fashion. So anything above 190 tomorrow, you 90. win, and every, anything sort of 189 below, I win. I suppose. Well, it depends. How many and what we- happens if if we're both horribly wrong? <laughs> is that the end of our attempts well, to no, predict I think, anything? Well, I think that's just a draw, isn't it? On the on the day, you know, the draw. We'll have to have half a mark each on that. Okay, so well, let, let's see. Let's see what happens tomorrow. You've got 190 before. I say 189 before. Same reason, uh, the weather. We'll see how it it turns out. Play starting half an hour earlier to try to make up for some of the time uh, lost today. England need wickets. Australia looking to build a first innings lead and then squeeze England in that second innings. That's our our wrap up of this first day of the Ashes series. A really deflating one uh, for England. Uh, hope you've enjoyed this uh, roundup. We'll be back with more uh, tomorrow. Thanks very much and goodbye. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.